Hello everyone. Today's CityWire podcast in association with PIMCO is all about the role of multi-asset funds in the current environment. I'm Ian Horn, Head of UK Audience Development at CityWire, and there is so much to discuss here. Before we do that, let me begin with some basic scene setting. Now, as things stand, we're facing a period of higher return dispersion as major economies are going through mid-cycle expansion. But transformative secular trends like technological innovation, green energy initiatives, and more inclusive socio-economic policies can lead to attractive investment opportunities. We're going to explore fundamental shifts that are reshaping the economy and discuss their impact on the macro environment and multi-asset investment. So allow me to introduce my guests in this podcast. Firstly, Geraldine Sundstrom, Managing Director, Head of Asset Allocation and Portfolio Manager at PIMCO. Geraldine, thank you for joining us. Good day and hello to everyone. Yeah, great to have you here. And secondly, Guy Foster, Chief Strategist at Bruin Dolphin. Guy, it's great to have you here with us too. Great to be here, thanks. Brilliant. So I should go straight in and let's start with our first question, um, which is quite simply, where are we in the economic cycle? Uh, you know, and what are the implications for top-line growth and inflation? Geraldine, I'll start with you. Well, today's world is very different from what we've been used to uh, before the pandemic and after the great financial crisis. We're in an environment where growth is slowing, but inflation remains persistently high. Uh, and if anything, now we're turning in an environment that is more and more stagflationary with the impact of the war uh, in Ukraine. We call this the anti-Goldilocks world, with inflation too hot and growth too cold. Against this backdrop, uh, central banks are focused on bringing down inflation which could lead, sadly, um, the world into a recession. We just had uh, the Bank of England was the first to warn us about this possibility. Uh, We will see if it is uh, the canary um, in the coal mine. So certainly, we're in the late stage of the economic cycle. And the big question for investors is really going to be about inflation and interest rates uh, as this growth momentum is slowing. We've seen top-line growth still uh, okay, but looking forward, it will very much depend as to how much central bank needs to increase interest rate to get the inflation uh, back under control. Interesting. And, and Guy, would you would you add anything to that? Or would you would you disagree with anything that was said there? No, I think I, I think it's a, a depressingly accurate assessment <laughs> of, the, of the circumstances. I guess. I mean, I I, I think what. The, the crucial thing for investors in this environment is to try and differentiate between those uh, inflationary aspects that are truly transient, to use that cursed word, which we're never allowed to use again, and those that are those are, that are persistent. But at the same time, you've got a, cu- a couple of things which are a real problem for for policymakers: a very tight labour market, and much as they like to preach uh, the, the, the ambition of achieving a, a soft landing, the reality is that you, you're not going to address that, that challenge without triggering an economic slowdown, i.e. a recession. You know, it's, just, mm-hmm. it's just the kind of thing you're not allowed to say. And then beyond that, you've got yeah, the, the broader trends that people really do worry about, about sort of deglobalization, the costs of decarbonisation and, and things like this. You know, many, many challenges which will be worth it in the end, but will not be very pleasant um, whilst, we're, whilst we're enduring them. Yeah, it sounds challenging. It seems like we're agreed they're, they're challenging conditions right now. And Guy, I'd, I'd like to stick with you. What does all of this mean for asset allocation? Well, 
I mean, in terms of them being challenging conditions, it's very easy to think of them as being challenging conditions, isn't it? Like, it's very easy to think that this is a, a really tough investment environment and that last year was a really easy investment environment. But, I mean, ultimately, last year, if you wanted to insure yourself against inflation and make a positive return, there was just no, no way of doing that. There was no, no asset that was offering a, a, a strong enough return. Now we are in an environment where you've got, um, we, we, we've fluctuated around 3% for a risk-free rate on a 10-year treasury. Um, you've started to get inflation-linked bonds offering real returns, uh, you know, positive real returns. You know, they're not like back at the levels that we saw 10 years ago or anything like that. But after, you, after you've suffered a couple of years in which yeah, people would talk about Tina that there, there's no alternative to equities. I think you've got to, you've got to see some refreshing um, positivity about the fact that actually you've got a lot of, uh, you know, every asset class has now got a, a, a better longer term um, return expectation than it did just a, a few months uh, ago. So that's a, you know, that's a, that's a big positive that has to be weighed against. Yes, it's a difficult phase of the cycle to be investing in, but that's, you know, that's, that's a, a, a relatively short-lived phenomenon. Where do you find the compelling investment opportunities? Well, if we look at equities, there are, there are two parts um, of our portfolio. So we think we're late cycle. Typically, late cycle, what you would want to have is a lot more quality in your portfolio. And where we see compelling valuations uh, relative to growth is uh, in the defensive part, like uh, healthcare and pharmaceuticals. So we've been increasing exposure um, in this area. Um, but we also like certain select part of secular growth. I know it's got a bad rap um, at the moment because it got a bit inflated and people had invested indiscriminately. But the sell-off has also been indiscriminate. And there are a number of um, areas in the renewable energy uh, that are um, relatively attractive, that are trading with low valuation, in particular, the manufacturers of uh, technology for uh, battery, for uh, solar, where we find um, attractive uh, things to do. Um, and on the other side, we are still keeping some short. We think that the broad market uh, still at those levels, it's corrected quite a bit, but this will still be sensitive uh, to higher interest rates and uh, potential for recession. So we like to have a, a broad um, set of shorts against it that we will you know, act upon um, in a dynamic fashion. In terms of fixed income, here I would just divide between credit and core fixed income. It might still be a bit too early to jump in in big way in credit. We remain selective. Um, but we are increasing slowly our core fixed income, especially in those countries where a lot of hikes have been priced in the yield curve and where you have absolute levels of yields, which you know could come down substantially should there be a recession. So I'm thinking about places like the US, Canada, uh, or Australia. And last but not least, I suppose, you need to have one part in your portfolio that enjoys rate hikes. Um, and we feel that this is an emerging market foreign exchange. Uh, central banks there have started to hike interest rates in some cases already a year ago. Uh, rates are historically very high. Um, real interest rates are looking better than in most of the developed market. Um, especially in Latin America, you also have currencies that are enjoying particularly favorable terms of trade. 
And last but not least, our models would point that a number of those emerging market currencies are deeply under, undervalued uh, on a historical basis. So um, that's one last part that we feel um, now is, is of a more compelling um, place to invest currently. Mm-hmm. And Guy, what are your thoughts on that? I think there's a yeah there's a number of, a number of things to pick up on I guess you know what we are seeing is uh, some much better entry points into high quality companies but similarly to what we were talking about earlier I guess you've got to recognise that quality as a factor has been really punished very very badly uh, or very harshly during the the early part of 20, 2022 which is obviously you know, there's, there's, there's two sides to that. That's what's offer, offering the opportunities, but it certainly hasn't been the defensive area that I think a lot of people intuitively expect it to be. I um, think there's a natural sort of association between high margins, which are a quality factor, and uh, an assumption that provides inflation protection. Um, ironically, I think the companies that have got pricing power actually find that they've got a little bit less pricing power when you've got a big rise in uh, discretionary costs. And so, you know, during this, during this phase of, of the cycle, what's been performing, what's been providing the ballast has actually been the low quality or the, or the, so the companies not associated with quality, with, with thin margins, with commoditized products, which often obviously are actual literal, uh, literal commodities. Um, I think um, I, I've, I find the appeal of emerging markets in this phase not that great. Um, but I do, uh, what I would say is it's a real dilemma. I'd love to get Geraldine's thoughts on, on this about what we do with the, with the dollar, which has been probably one of our best hedges so far. Um, but it's, it's performed so well during most phases of this cycle, it would typically do well during recession as well. But you, one always has to be a bit nervous um, when you've got one asset that's proving to be sort of perfect for all, all seasons. And with speculative positioning in dollar assets where, where they are, I, I do think that's probably one of the biggest conundrums for investors. So, I mean, what, what do you think about that, Geraldine? What's your view on the dollar? Looking forward and where we will have our eyes upon is certainly that the dollar has been, as you pointed, extremely strong. And if we were to be in an environment where the market starts to say, well, you know, after all, things are slowing down and we might not deliver so many interest rates hike in the U.S., the dollar could soften uh, somewhat a little bit and then we might on the funding part, so on the short side of our foreign exchange equation, we might reintroduce some dollar shorts. But at the moment, given the uncertainty, um, it still seems that it's a bit premature. All the more than Europe is so much in the vicinity of this war, is probably the place where um, a recession, we might be the closest to a recession, as Bank of England uh, pointed where you might have some black swans in terms of um, energy supplies uh, to Europe and uh, also where we could suffer from fragmentation as uh, central banks starts their quantitative tightening. So for now, um, we've been avoided, avoiding that question by leaving the dollar uh, sort of alone uh, in this equation. But we could very well uh, start to to contemplate a short, but at this moment, it's probably a bit early. Which megatrends do you think are most compelling for investors and how do you approach them? 
Yeah, well, that's a really good question. Um, and I think I would, I would start with a note of caution, which is that megatrends, trends, themes, have had a bit of a track record of sucking investors into, um, into trades which end up not living up to their expectations. Um, and I guess the, the most obvious sort of megatrend that uh, I think will be the defining challenge of all of our uh, investment careers and, and possibly lives is that of decarbonisation, which I'm personally, uh, you know, uh, v v fanatically committed to. It's not an easy, e easy decision at all to say, okay, great, I want lots of energy transition plays in my portfolio, um, because the whole time you're doing that, well, firstly, they, valuations got very rich in, in those. Secondly, there's a big, uh, a big cohort of those assets that, ha that offer very low long-term returns. Um, and thirdly, the other the, the, the thing that you're in danger of avoiding and that many people will want for very valid ethical reasons to, to avoid is the thing that's providing uh, many investors with the greatest protection against the, the very real challenges that they're suffering in their, you know, in their personal lives. From your, from your perspective, you're seeing you know, higher correlation between equities and bonds. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you from a risk, you know, risk management perspective? Um, well, it means that uh, you're not going to get so much additional benefit from having a lot of bonds in your portfolio. Um, I think it means that you uh, need to look a bit more broadly in terms of what assets you can use for diversification. We've obviously talked about dollar exposure perhaps enough already this podcast, but that has certainly been a helpful component. Um, gold has, uh, has been a helpful uh, diversifier as well. I mean, commodity exposure in general has obviously been been positive. And I think probably the, the way to think or one of the important observations to make is that during this, this change in correlations sort of referred to, to many people as if, it, as if it's a sort of lasting phenomenon, as if correlations were negative forever before and now they're going to be positive forever afterwards. But it's a very cyclical phenomenon. It's, 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 it's very common for you to see those those correlations turn more positive during this slowdown phase of the cycle for pretty obvious reasons, which is both stocks and bonds are fearful of the prospect of, of higher interest rates from policymakers. So, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, an element of all this all this will pass uh, to to a certain degree, um, and certainly you would expect that when the economic environment somewhat inevitably does worsen, bonds will end up having their, their, their moment in the sun uh, once again. You know, we've used a bit more inflation linked, we have carried a bit more credit, I think there'd be an opportunity to rotate that. So we've started rotating that from inflation linked into conventional really just over the last, uh, you know, just, just over the last few days. Um, and the market so far seems to be reflecting that a little bit. Um, itself as well, so it feels very unintuitive to, to, to take inflation protection out of a portfolio, but we are obviously, hopefully, um, at a, at just passing the peak level of inflation, particularly in the, in the US. But there's a really interesting thing, especially post-lockdown, where we're looking at the valuations of certain companies, uh, which may or may not be overvalued or undervalued in, in light of what's happened. How, how do you account for that? How do you get that balance between looking at valuations and and also assessing an investment for its future growth potential. We really feel the market has thrown the baby and the bus uh, in this rotation. 
And there are areas of the market that really sit at the intersection between justifiable valuation and durable earnings growth trajectory. And it's really in those areas that, that you need to, to look for. I think there has been a lot too much of buy anything that's related to a sexy semantic. Um, that's really not uh, what we're doing. We really pick and choose those companies, pay attention to what's their edge, um, what's the valuation, how is the balance sheet, and really looking for justifiable valuations. And there are many trends that are uh, unavoidable and inevitable. Uh, the, the, the reshoring, the fact that wages have gone up so much will lead to more automation and digitalization. And that's, that's one area that we certainly find very compelling um, valuation. Um, and um, increasing exposure to things like semiconductors. The market treats them as a boom-bust uh, asset, asset uh, that uh, will suffer a lot because they think it's just PCs and smartphones. But now semiconductors have permeated pretty much everything that surrounds us, from uh, electrification of our grids, our electric vehicle, a security system, uh, robotics, the cloud computing, uh, data centers, um, it's way beyond. It's very ubiquitous um, sector now that is uh, very unlikely to see a boom-bust cycle given the green and digital transformation that we are going to see ahead. And we think that finally when growth slows, um, these fundamentals will eventually be rewarded because you have double-digit growth, you have high operating and, grow, and net uh, margins, you have very clean balance sheets, strong cash flow generation. These are not long duration assets by any stretch of the imagination. And many of them trades with single digit, uh, you know, next 12 months uh, forward PE uh, or, or in the very low team. So they are at a discount to the broader market. So there are myths and reality in terms of the overvaluation of secular growth. And this is a moment to really revisit after the broad-based sell-off and pick and choose uh, those companies that have a true future, no matter what happens to GDP growth in the next few quarters. Okay. Well, Geraldine, Guy, that is all we have time for. But thank you for joining me and providing this overview of what we need to know about multi-asset investing and about the markets more generally. Look, these are interesting times, and I hope we've added some clarity for investors. Finally, thank you to everyone who's listened in to this CityWire podcast in association with PIMCO. Goodbye for now. Thank you.